It's Monday, the 18th of November, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Donald Trump made his name on television. Now, with impeachment taking over the airwaves, could it also be his undoing? All of a sudden, President Trump live tweets his own impeachment hearing. Plus, why Lebanon's new prime minister faces a tough task as tensions in the country continue to simmer. The seminal classic, A History of Architecture, finds its way back into print. And if you're one of those people who conducts loud telephone conversations on public transport, or worse, removes one's footwear, well, our executive editor Josh Bennett would like a quiet word. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. There are many factors that fuel Donald Trump's rise to the presidency of the United States, but his role on the television game show The Apprentice certainly helped shape his brand recognition. Now, however, the medium that made the Trump persona may also be his undoing. Televised impeachment hearings are creating a daily torrent of news that even this president is having trouble controlling. It certainly led to a shift in Washington's power dynamic, but are TV trials ultimately a good thing? Charles Hecker is senior partner at Control Risks. I was at work on Friday and absolutely riveted by Marie Jovanovich's testimony in front of the impeachment hearings. These are televised, and it's sort of the relationship between television and politics is like a dysfunctional marriage. It's, you know, when it's good, it's good, and when it's bad, it's bad. And this is about establishing a narrative. And the Republicans have a narrative, and the Democrats have a narrative, and they clash live on television. And the ambassador who was meticulous and eloquent and composed and brought up in contrast to Brett Kavanaugh's television appearance in his Supreme Court confirmation hearings. She's delivering her testimony, and all of a sudden, as this lightning bolt from the clouds, this, this deus ex machina, President Trump live tweets his own impeachment hearing. And the tweet is read out, again, live, on television at the precise moment when a U.S. Foreign Service official, a senior, high-ranking, decorated Foreign Service official is talking about being intimidated by the president. He comes out and intimidates her again. What he's done is potentially itself impeachable. It was immediately cast as witness tampering and witness intimidation. And that really distorted the rest of the afternoon and the content of the hearings. Two weeks since the resignation of Lebanon's former Prime Minister, Saad el-Hariri, in the face of intense protests, the country's former finance minister has emerged as a replacement. But Mohammed Safadi faces a tough task ahead if he's to quell the ongoing unrest. Lena Khatib is head of the Middle East and North Africa program at the think tank Chatham House. People um, are saying, well, this is just an older version of the previous prime minister. They have a similar profile. Both are millionaires or rather billionaires. And from the old political class, basically for the protesters, this signals that the political class are definitely disconnected from what people actually want, which is genuine change. Of course, it's going to be a tough job no matter who is in position. Even if it's someone uh, who the protesters want, old elites in Lebanon 
are not going to basically give such a person an easy ride. However, the selection of someone from the old class is just a slap in the face as far as the protesters are concerned. It shows that the powers that be do not understand what the people are genuinely asking for. And I think there are some technocratic figures that would be acceptable to the protesters who, yes, will not have an easy ride, but at least they would be seen as a way forward. This is not a way forward. This is just stagnation. The world's most significant architectural text is getting a makeover. A History of Architecture was written by Sir Bannister Fletcher and first published in 1896. It's now been updated by a team of over 80 leading historians. Monocle's Nick Manise spoke to the book's editor, Murray Fraser, who's also Professor of Architecture at the Bartlett School. So, Murray, what are we seeing with this new edition? Is it a rewriting or just an adaptation of the original Bannister Fletcher text? Total reconception, total rewrite, etc. So it's um, no, no, it's really it's, it's built up from the ground. I mean, some things we've kept. Uh, there were uh, an amazing set of drawings that uh, that the the Fle- Fletcher, Flight Fletcher, and obviously uh, assistants had produced over the years. So these are almost like now historic artifacts, etc. Very, very interesting. Um, not always accurate. Some of the authors didn't want to use those. So we mm-hmm. use a, a certain amount of that sort of data, but the whole uh, book was completely reconceived. Um, and so what we've tried to do really is to have a pattern whereby we just discuss uh, architecture across the world in, in, in different uh, chronological uh, stages uh, in a very open uh, manner, really, uh, with an equal manner, starting roughly in the Middle East and what was called the Fertile Crescent, where you know the first farming and the first architectural uh, expression was really uh, deemed to have started, and so and then from that, just then pan out and take in the rest of the world in a very, very hopefully even-handed. Uh, equal manner, really, and this was very different from the 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 previous book, which had been really very much written from this idea of a of a Western tradition from ancient Egypt through to you know contemporary architecture, with then other architectures in other countries being somehow, as I say, a sort of secondary uh, aspect. So we, we we tried to basically re reformulate it completely. Is there something that's particularly relevant to, I guess, us today? For me, this was something I've been thinking about for a while. One of the reasons why I was interested in the project, etc., is that we still tend to think too much of um, the, the world and the influences between countries as, as being too uh, static and, and not very, very prevalent, etc. T- still, you still hear talk about something being a Swiss architecture or a... American architecture or, or what have you. And really what the book hopefully tries to show is just the way in which um, architectural ideas and influences have flowed between different parts of the world for millennia. You know, that in fact, in some ways, it's these flows of ideas, these exchanges of ideas, and the kind of the new forms, what might be called hybrids, that are created from that has really been the lifeblood of architecture since it started as we know it. And so the, I think that was really one of the kind of key things to do is to try and present a case where you could somebody could get a sense of this huge interflow, this huge interconnection of architecture, while also there being very specific, you know, cultural and um, social traditions in particular regions and countries, etc. So just really to have that as, the, um, as, as probably the main underlying message, I think, hopefully from the book. And finally today, if you're listening to this on the train and your feet are on the seat in front of you, well, sit up. Monocle's executive editor, Josh Fennett, would like a quiet word. 
I didn't enjoy my journey to work this morning and it's an increasingly common feeling. Yes, dear reader, London's number 30 bus is no place for the demure and devoted bookworm to pursue a paperback in peace. Instead, it's usually a riot of loud phone calls, smelly fast food and, recently, an incident that involved some nail clippers and the removal of one passenger's sock. The social contract that makes shared spaces work is fast being rewritten by selfish phone-touting zombies and it's rotten. But you and I are going to do something about it. So here's the plan, a digital decency initiative. We've waited for plane, train and bus operators to launch one under their own steam, but instead I've had to go ahead and draft it myself. To get the ball rolling, we need to do something about phone cameras. Filming and photographing other passengers is rude, and the chances are they don't want to be in your blurry home movie. They're out. Next, phone calls should be conducted either imperceptibly or, if on trains, in the spaces between carriages. Lovely that you're catching up with your family. Terrible that I'm learning about Uncle Henry's gallstones and all against my will. Oh, and forget those horrid phone speakers. Quiet headphones or nothing, please. Why should we all suffer? People caught playing music out loud should be ejected from the vehicle, whether it's moving or not. A rant, perhaps, but why should it always fall to the tired traveller to take responsibility and call for calm on their journey? Also, most people are generally good, honest and kind, and it will just take a gentle reminder to keep Sturm and tone down that phone call. Keeping their socks on is another matter entirely, though. Transport firms, it's your move, and if you need be, I'll be on the top deck of the number 30 bus, trying to mind my own business. Our ever-disciplined executive editor, Josh Fennett, there. Well, that's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Tuesday. Tuesday.